listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading this morning is from Romans 7, 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Dick. And that is heavy between that prayer and that scripture reading. It's like hitting me now. I've got to liven it up a little bit. Hey, good news. I spilled tea all over myself this morning, but thanks to this shirt, you can't see it. So that was, that was uplifting. <clears throat> anyway, I don't, know if, I don't know if that helps. <sighs> Sorry. We are in the midst of a long-term teaching series on the book of Romans. I've got to say, too, you guys are doing great with this so far. Uh, I've been at this church for two years. Yeah. Uh, like two years and a month, and in that time, this is the first time that we've done like a long-term book study where we just pick one book of the Bible and really take our time working through it piece by piece, chunk by chunk, and you guys are doing great. Um, We're four months into the book of Romans, and we are halfway done, Um, but if I plan this out right, we should be wrapping up Romans in late November, just in time for Advent. So for anyone here who's not as into this series, Christmas will come a little early this year. Now we're in this section of Romans right now, Romans chapter 7, where Paul is talking about sin. He's already established that as Christians, um, we are free from sin, we are no longer slaves of sin. But if we're going to truly live into that freedom, we've got to know a little something about how sin works. Last week, if you were here, or if you were able to watch, uh, watch online, we talked about how sin is able to pervert good things and lead us astray. And remember, this is a really important point, too. When Paul talks about sin, he's not talking in this individualistic sense of, like, bad things you do, like you steal a candy bar or you tell a lie, and that's sin. No. Paul has a much bigger picture here. Sin for Paul is this cosmic thing, this, this force or this power that is active in creation and trying to enslave us. Now, I don't want to talk for anyone else here, 
But I know as we've been working our way through the book of Romans at points for myself, I found Romans kind of hard to follow, kind of hard to understand. Has anyone else had that experience? It's a little tricky. Thank goodness I'm not the only one. It's a little confusing, right? Like Romans is a challenging book. It's a dense book. Uh, Paul's language can be really verbose, really wordy. His argument gets hard to follow at points. He assumes a lot of knowledge about like the Bible and Judaism and life in ancient Rome that like we just don't know as much about that stuff anymore. So this book can be really hard to follow and understand. But when it comes to our passage for today, like for once I actually think that's not the case. Unlike the rest of the book of Romans where it can be hard to really follow and understand what Paul's talking about, I think I know exactly what he's talking about in this passage. Like I feel, I feel like I've experienced this before. Like for once I can relate to this guy. I'll show you what I mean. Let's, let's start in verse 15, and it should be on the screen. There we go. See if you can relate to this. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I don't want is what I do. Anyone else just like slayed by that when you hear it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's still a little wordy because it's Paul, right? But I actually understand what he's saying here. I feel like I've been there. I've experienced this before. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul's talking about this inner conflict we experience. I think it's universal, where we know the right thing to do. We know what's right. We want to do what's right, but we do the exact opposite. There's like this struggle between our minds and our hearts, what we know to be good, wanting to stay on that straight and narrow path, but then our actions just don't line up. Now, there's a bunch of examples from my personal life that I could like share with you, but the funniest ones are from when I was a teenager, so we're going to start there. And before I tell the story, I should say, like adults in the room, you're not off the hook. It's really easy to, like, point out this sort of thing, I feel like, with teenagers and youth, because, like, at that age, you know, our brains are literally still developing, but this applies to everybody. Grown-ups, we'll we'll get to you in a second. But first, I was 15 years old. It's like circa 2000. This is the look I was going for at the time. You've got the hair, obviously, um, the, the flannel jacket, and you know I was rocking those boots, those combat boots with knee-high socks and shorts. This is vintage Dan right here. My wife knew me back then. She didn't like me as much, though, for some reason. <clears throat> but it was a Sunday night. Um, I was part of the youth group at my church, And youth group had just ended. All the kids were kind of hanging out, waiting for our parents to come and pick us up. Um, You had all your different cliques around the room. The the adults were, you know, who knows where. 
And in the youth room, we had this, this big wall, a big white wall that went like the entire length of the room. And I'm sitting there, hanging out with my friends, and I had this thought. It was really more of an epiphany. I wonder if I could jump through that wall. Like, who hasn't been there, right? None of us, Dan. <clears throat> but I remember this as clear as day. I, like, I said to my friends, I was like, hold on a second, guys. I just got to try something real quick. And I stepped aside. I got in the ready position. And I, like, sprinted at this wall. And it turns out I can jump through a wall. Now, I was pretty lucky because, like, I hit this thing, like, right between two studs, and, like, so I went right through that first level of drywall. There was no insulation because it was an interior wall, so, like, my head and shoulder, like, popped through the other end into the next room. You basically had this, this giant, stupid-looking Dan-shaped window in the wall. Uh, it was like the Kool-Aid man, basically, if any, any, like, 90s kids will get that reference. It was like, oh, yeah, I went right through the wall. And I got in a lot of trouble for this, like kids who are here or watching online, like don't try this, this is a bad thing to do. I was grounded, I had to fix the wall. I remember though my youth pastor at the time, bless his heart, he tried to reason with me. Like he was like, he was like, all right Dan, let's walk through your decision making process on this. Why did you want to put a hole in the wall? And I remember, as clear as day, I was like, oh no, pastor. I didn't, I didn't want to put a hole in the wall. That's like the last thing I would want to do. I don't want to damage property or break church. This is, this is my youth room. This is like one of the few safe spaces I have in my life. I would never want to wreck that or cause harm to it. So he was like, then why did you jump through the wall? And I said, oh, I just really wanted to see if I could jump through the wall. Do you, we have a disconnect here. Do you see that disconnect? It's like, oh no, I would never want to jump through the wall. I would never want to do damage. I would never want to put a hole in the wall. I just really wanted to see if I could jump through a wall. The inner conflict of a 15-year-old boy. And now granted, that's a silly example. Like that's a really juvenile example. My youth pastor took it super seriously for some reason. But like that's kind of, that's kind of goofy kid stuff. But at the same time, how many of us are jumping through walls on a regular basis that we have no intention of putting a hole in? I think that metaphor works. How many of us fall into the same traps over and over again? You act without thinking. You fall back into the same patterns and habits. You do something, and then like two minutes later, you're like, what was I thinking, right? I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. This is the inner conflict. This is what Paul is talking about. When we want to do the right thing, but our actions don't line up. There's a lot of examples from like the grown-up world we could point to with this. Addiction is a big one, right? If you've ever uh, known an addict or if you yourself have ever struggled with addiction, then you know the reality of wanting with every fiber of your being to get clean, to stay clean, to stay sober, and you just keep falling back into the same patterns. Addictions work like this. There's a lot of taboo sins that work like this. I won't name them because there's some kids present, but you know what I'm talking about. 
these compulsory behavior, behaviors, compulsive, maybe, that we don't want to do, but we fall back into over and over again. It's not even just taboo stuff either, like these big things. There are many more totally socially acceptable patterns and habits that are just as destructive. Sometimes it's not even like doing something bad, but failing to do something good. Like, I want to be a good dad would be one example. I want to be fully present in my kids' lives. I want to be attentive to them. I want to, like, make memories with them. But it is so easy to just check right out whenever I'm with them. I get on my phone, I turn on the TV, or I give them the iPad, and they just want to hang out with me. Or even like something like taking care of yourself is another example we could use. Like, I know I need to take better care of this temple of the Holy Spirit that I was given. And it's not that hard to take care of yourself, right? Diet and exercise, pretty simple. But wouldn't you know it, those are like the two things I have no interest in doing. I want to be lean and healthy, but I love ice cream. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Whatever it is you're struggling with, maybe it's an addiction or a taboo behavior, maybe you're a workaholic or you've got a really nasty temper, maybe you struggle with bitterness, whatever it is that's causing a disconnection between the person you want to be and the person you act like. That is one of the chief ways that sin is at work, trying to enslave us, trying to make us question our belonging to God. So how do we resolve this? How do we actually get at this? What can we do to address this struggle, this inner conflict Paul's talking about? Unfortunately, Paul doesn't actually tell us here because why make it easy, right? He does get into some more practical ethical guidelines a little bit later in Romans, so we will get to that. But we can piece together from a few bits in this passage and some of what comes before it a few helpful tips, we would say, uh, to assist us in this struggle. And we got to begin, number one, by realizing that we are no longer slaves to sin. This is super important. This is a point we actually covered a couple weeks ago. This is from like Romans 6, if you can remember back uh, that far, where Paul writes that we have been crucified with Christ, so we are no longer slaves of sin. Check this out. I'm going to read Romans 6, starting in verse 6. It'll be up here. We know that our old self was crucified with Christ, so that the body of sin might be destroyed, and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. As Christians, we are called to be dead to sin. You are dead to sin. 
You died to sin the moment you committed to follow Jesus as your Lord and enter into the waters of baptism. See, a lot of times I think we fall in this trap of assuming that, like, we're still slaves, that our salvation just didn't take. Like, maybe we didn't believe hard enough. Maybe we didn't really mean it. Uh, maybe we're just not that good. We're, there's something wrong with us because we're still struggling. But no, that's not how it works. No matter what you happen to be wrestling with right now, if you know Christ, then you are no longer a slave to sin, period. Jesus ended that slavery at the cross. But then why do we still mess up? Why aren't we perfect? Why do we still experience this struggle where our hearts and our actions don't line up? That's the second takeaway that I think is helpful here. We are no longer slaves to sin, but sin is still present and active in our world. Our enslavement to that spiritual power of sin has been broken, but sin is still active in our world, trying to gain a foothold in our lives. I think of it like this. If you've ever known someone who got out of an abusive relationship, or if you yourself ever got out of an abusive relationship, you already know something of this reality. Getting out of an abusive relationship is a huge step. That takes tremendous courage. That is a huge victory. Whether we're talking like physical abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, when you finally cut that cord, break things off, move out, get a restraining order, find a new church, that is a huge step and a win. But ask anybody who's been through it, and they'll tell you that that's just when it begins. Working through the trauma of that abusive relationship can take years. It can take a lifetime. We're talking therapy, hard work, changing your inner dialogue about yourself. You might get to a point like years later, where you feel like you're finally past all that, you finally worked through it, it's finally behind you, and then the tiniest, most random thing just puts you right back in it. Getting an abuser out of your life is one thing, but getting them out of your head and your heart, that takes years. In much the same way, we are all living with the residual trauma of our past enslavement to sin. Let's say that one more time. We are all living with the residual trauma of our past enslavement to sin. The relationship has been broken. It's done. Things have been ended. Christ has freed you from your enslavement to sin, but that doesn't negate the hard work that is needed to actually work through and deal with all the areas of your life where sin is still trying to take control. Those destructive patterns and habits that you're still stuck in, the lies you still believe about yourself, the shame and the guilt, that's not you. That's sin working inside of you. 
trying to take you away. We are all working through the residual trauma of our past enslavement to sin. So what makes this third point so important? We need to realize that we're no longer slaves to sin. We need to acknowledge that sin is still active in our world. And number three, we need to accept that our struggle with sin is part of the work of discipleship. The fact that you're still struggling with sin does not mean you're a crummy Christian. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong or that you don't belong. It doesn't mean that you're somehow different from the rest of us. We're all in this same struggle together. All it means is that you are a disciple of Jesus who's been freed from sin, working through the trauma of that past enslavement. That's discipleship. And it is hard work. You can't will yourself through this. You can't just, like, grit your teeth. Willpower will not do it. Paul tells us that much in verse 18. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. You can't just muscle your way through this. It doesn't work that way. It's not that easy. You can't just, like, resolve not to sin anymore and then be free of it. No. That will land you right in the same struggle. We've got to do the hard work of discipleship. We've got to do the work of shifting our allegiance away from sin and back to God piece by piece, member by member, part by part of our lives. In verse 22, Paul writes this, I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another war at, or sorry, another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin. When Paul talks about his members, he's talking about like the different parts of his body and his life, like our hearts might belong to God. Sorry, heart here. Wow, what does that say? <laughs> I say heart and I point to my brain. Our hearts might belong to God. Our minds might belong to God. But our eyes? Our mouths, our habits, those are those pieces we might have to turn back piece by piece. So here is like a practical approach to discipleship. Here are some steps that you can try. Um, First, do an assessment of your life and identify areas that you are struggling to hand over to God. You can start by writing writing like a list out, but doing this on your own probably isn't going to work. You need some help with this. You need, whether it's a trusted friend you can turn to or a spiritual director or a small group, to actually go through your life and do an assessment. What are the areas that I am struggling to hand over to God? Maybe it's your family or your work life. Maybe it's your temper or your speech. Maybe it's friends you hang out with or your finances or some taboo sin you keep returning to, whatever it is, make that list, identify those areas, then choose one area to focus on and really tackle it. Don't just try to knuckle under through willpower and get this done. Choose one area and do that hard work of discipleship. Come clean with the people you need to come clean with. 
Check into rehab. Get accountability. Get a therapist. Find people who are going to walk alongside you and hold you accountable. Shift jobs if you have to. Sever ties with people who are bringing you down. Identify those destructive patterns and habits in your life. Do that work. And the community piece here is essential. You've got to do this in community. Whether it's a friend who holds you accountable or being part of a small group or just committing to the habit of like showing up to church once a week to be around other Christians, other disciples who are in this struggle. Don't go it alone. I got to say too, a little plug. If you're a visitor here or if you're checking out uh, our church on the live stream, I found that our church is a pretty good community for this. Now I'm the pastor, so like everyone has to be nice to me. But I've, I've found that this is a pretty good group of fellow disciples to be on that road with. But whether it's this church or some other church, get in community, and through it all, I think this is the last point, realize that the goal of this is not perfection, but freedom. Have some grace for yourself. Let go of the shame. No one is expecting you to be perfect. God is not expecting you to be perfect. Do you imagine how awful an actual perfect person in this church would be? They'd be the worst person to talk to. You know, well, I could point out some people come close, but I won't. The goal here is not to be perfect, but it's to part by part, piece by piece, sever that hold that sin has on your lives and find freedom in Christ. So assess your life. Identify those areas. Start with one area to work on in community and strive for freedom over perfection. That's an approach to the work of discipleship. It's one of the only effective ways I know of to practically go about this stuff and really tackle this inner conflict and find peace. Let's pray. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for loving us and for bringing us together. Thank you for a community like this church where we believe in truly loving and coming alongside all people no matter what. God, help us to be a community that builds each other up and guide us, Lord, as we continue on this journey of discipleship together. Shape us, Lord. Mold us. Give us grace. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.